Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Baptist Gospel Baptist Church Sunday School class. And uh, we are in First Samuel chapter four. Sorry, First Samuel chapter five this morning. Last week we looked at First Samuel chapter four, and we looked at the Philistines uh, uh, taking the Ark of the Covenant, and we saw the battle without Samuel, and we saw what happened. We saw the, their false worship because they were worshiping the Ark; they weren't worshiping the Lord. And uh, we saw what happened to that, and, and uh, so the, the, the ark was then captured, First Samuel chapter 5 now. Actually, no, I don't think the ark was captured yet, but we're going to talk about the ark being captured this morning, First Samuel chapter 5 in our Bibles. And uh, we'll read from verse 1 down to verse something, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. First Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. And the Philistines took the ark of God. And brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when they of Ashdod rose early in the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. When they arose early on the morning, the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon, and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Therefore neither the priests of Dagon, nor any that come into Dagon's house, tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod unto this day. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod, and he destroyed them and smote them with emeralds, even Ashdod and the coasts thereof. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then, um, and then we'll get into the word of God. Father, thank you so much for a beautiful morning. Thank you for the blessings of today. Thank you for the great start to the day. We're asking now, Lord God, to bless our time around your word. I pray for those and many on their way still. I pray you give them safety as they travel. Give us a great time in your word. I pray, Lord God, you minister to us tremendously through your word. Pray we learn some principles that we can we can take with us for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Okay, so a word of, of note or caution or whatever way you want to look at us. To those who are visiting us today, uh, we have interactive Sunday school class, which means I expect you to say something. Okay, so... Uh, so let's, let's get into the Word of God. So this chapter, we're now looking at the capture of the ark. We're looking at life without Samuel. Samuel was going to be raised up. The theme, one of the themes of, uh, I shouldn't say the theme, but the, if you divide First Samuel into three sections, or maybe two sections, it would be the rise and leadership of Samuel. And then the second section would be the rise and leadership of Saul. And probably second Samuel would be the rise and leadership of David. But we look at that as we go along, okay? Uh, so we'll see all this, but when First Samuel, we're looking at the rise and leadership here of, of Samuel. So now we're looking at Israel without Samuel, and we're seeing what's happening. So the first thing we see is they lost the battle in First Samuel chapter 4 and chapter 5. Now we're seeing the capture of the ark. So this chapter recounts the battle between Jehovah and the Philistine gods. That's what it's all about. Just after Israel had been soundly defeated by the Philistines, Perhaps the Philistines wanted to overthrow the power of the Hebrew God forever. And maybe that's why they took the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark was moved, the Bible says in verse 1, from Ebenezer, which means the stone of the help, to Ashdod, which means ravenger. So you're looking from, the Ark was moved from the stone of the help to ravenger. If you look at the, the picture here, the people of Israel had fallen, or sorry, failed to demonstrate that their God was greater than the God of the Philistines. And so when pressed, the Lord would have to do it all himself. I think that is such a... I think people want God to do the work for us. We, we, we want God to give visions. We want God to do these miracles. We want God to, 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 to save people in their masses. We want God to write his, his, his message in the sky. 
And oftentimes we want God to do the things that he wants us to do. And that's what we're seeing here. Um, God is now going to do what the Israel wouldn't do. So when both deities were then placed in the boat in the same temple, we're looking at verse 2 and 3, the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it, put it in the house of Dagon. So you got two gods side by side, if you like. Now, um, they were emblematic of gods. We know God wasn't in the ark of the covenant. By the way, you say, what was this ark of the covenant? What is this ark we're talking about? It was this box, probably about two and a half feet by about one and a half feet. It was about two feet tall, something like that. Had these like these horns of, uh, on all four corners, and had an inch of gold on the top of it called the mercy seat, a slab of gold. And the two cherubim, these two heavenly creatures facing each other, and that was where the Lord would meet with his people. He would meet once a year with the high priest, where the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies, if you like, the building might have been about this shape and this size, so to speak, maybe not exactly the same dimensions. This section here would be the Holy of Holies, there'd be a curtain that would go across. And on, on this side, outside, you'd have the table of showbread. At the front, you'd have the, the, the menorah, the light. And the other side, you'd have the, um, the, the, not the brazen altar, but the other altar, the altar of incense. And then inside, you'd have the, inside the curtain, you'd have the Holy of Holies. And, the, and you'd have the Ark of the Covenant there. And this Ark of the Covenant had, had uh, rods coming out of it so that, so that the, the, the priests could carry it. One of the orders of the priests would, was, able, was, was able to carry it. And they, they would carry it when they would move from place to place. Everybody had their designated places. No one could touch it except for the designated people. That's another day's conversation. But this Ark, this, this golden, this gold-plated wooden object which which carried which carried three objects the first object was was Aaron's rod that budded I won't get into the history of it the other, third object the second object was was the the, the ten the, a copy of the ten commandments and the third object was a pot of golden manna well not golden manna but pot of manna golden pot of manna and those three objects were in the ark presumably before the Philistines took it after it was taken there was only one object left and does anybody remember what it was because I don't Anybody remember? Nope, nobody does. Look it up. I can't remember what it was. It might be the Ten Commandments. I can't remember which one was what was left. But anyway, so uh, so this ark was taken by the Philistines. So just now, how did it get to the Philistines? The Israel had taken it as their lucky charm to go into battle, and they've got the ark. They can't get us. We've got God with us. No, they didn't have God. They had the ark. The Philistines took the ark. This is where we're at in chapter five. Okay, now. So both deities were now placed side by side. You've got Dagon, which was their fish god, which had human human characteristics, but a fish god. And it was like a, it was a cross between a man and a woman and a fish. Okay, that's what the, that was what the Dagon god was. And they put the arcs, the ark and the Dagon side by side. And question: Why do you think that the Philistines put the ark of the covenant? Right beside Dagon, their God, in the temple of Dagon. And there's no correct answer or wrong answer. I'm just curious. Why do you think they did that? Why would they have done that? Yes, Edith. A bonus. Yep. I'm sure that was going on for sure. Somebody else. Why would they put the ark? Yes. Well, it's just another God added to their gods. That's the way I'd look at it. Yep. Anybody else? Absolutely. Anybody else? Why would they put the? Why would they? So you're looking for, as like a trophy. It was like their trophy, and it was a god to add to their gods. That's, those are the answers so far. I'd agree with that. Anybody else? Why would they put the ark of the covenant right beside Dagon, their god? 
One thing I didn't think, think of is good luck. It's good luck for them, right? Hey, we have everything. We have all this. Okay, now, Dagon then felt prostrate before the Lord. Okay, before the ark, should I say. But in the morning, the priest then corrected it. Isn't that interesting? We read that already. Verse 3, they rose up early in the morning. Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth, worshipping the Lord, right? Isn't that wonderful? And they, they, used they, the priests, took Dagon and sat him in his place again. Why, why did they have to take Dagon and put him back in his place? There's a real simple answer. Because what? He's a dead God. A dead God. He couldn't do it himself. <laughs> the Lord could move Dagon, but Dagon couldn't move himself. You know? So, supernaturally, the worship of, of Jehovah occurred, but naturally it was remedied. Isn't that interesting? Okay? Dagon was demoralized. Oh, sorry. Look at verse 4. Happened again. The next morning, they rose early in the morning, and behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground, behold, before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon, he was decapitated, and he was the hand agent and the foot agent, okay? I just made up those words as we went along, okay? And uh, those hands and feet uh, were, were left on the threshold, only the stump of Dagon was left to him. So the deities were compared again. Who's greater, Jehovah or Dagon? Well, we all know the answer to that. It's Jehovah. And Dagon was demoralized, destroyed, disrespected, and again prostrated. Okay? So now let's talk about Dagon for a second. He was formed to look like a fish with the head, arms, and hands of a human. When the Lord had finished with their God, all the human resemblances were removed. Isn't that interesting? Now we speak anthropomorphically. I used this word last week, and maybe some of you had never heard that word before, but I'm going to explain it. Anthropos. Okay, is, 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 is the Greek for what? Man, okay. And morphos, I think, is from shape or something like that. I can't remember what it is in the Greek. I'd have to look at it again. But what it is, is anthropomorphically, is when you attribute to God the characteristics of man. And humanly speaking, we, we can only relate to something that fits into our three-dimensional human world, right? And so what was happening here was uh, they had their God... And they would have to give that God human characteristics so they could relate to their God. And we, talk, we, we, we use human characteristics with, with, with the Lord. The Lord looks upon us. I mean, God uh, doesn't physically have eyes, because God is a spirit. They don't worship him, must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus Christ has eyes, but the, the Father doesn't have eyes. He doesn't, have, he doesn't need eyes. He's God. Do you understand what I'm saying? But we relate to God using human characteristics. The hand of the Lord is not short that I cannot save. We use human characteristics. And so they also use human characteristics so they could relate to their God. Isn't it amazing that those human characteristics were taken away from their God? All was left was a stump. Useless. What good is an object of worship that has no hands, has no feet, has no head? Okay? It's mindless. And it just points out that their gods were absolutely useless. You know, and the same thing remains. Anybody who worships anything other than Jehovah, the Lord God of heaven, the God of Israel, the God of eternity, the God of Christianity, the God of the cross, the, the, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, you worship anyone other than that, that God is useless. It may give you temporary help, it may give you temporary things, but it's all in your mind. And when that God is decapitated, when the Lord is finished with this, is no good. Are you with me here? So that's the picture here. Tremendous, tremendous picture. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 5 this morning. For those of you who just come in, you're very welcome. 1 Samuel chapter 5. Now, um, this symbolized, the, 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 the decapitation of Dagon symbolized the reality uh, 
was that humans were behind, sorry, we're just, oh yeah, yeah, sorry. I can't read my own writings. And it's, <laughs> I can't read my writing and I typed it. Isn't that crazy? Okay, but this symbolizes that humans were behind Dagon. You know, and, and that's the whole point. They had to carry their gods everywhere, okay? Humans were behind Dagon. The, the, the thing is, oh, this is just a, a, a man-made book. Humans may have written this, but God is behind this book. You say, how do you know? Because of fulfilled prophecies. You know, there's a country in, does anybody know, there's a country in the Middle East that is the center of world attention. Does anybody know what it is? I can't remember what it is. Israel. You know what? Israel is a miracle. You may not like what's going on in the Middle East. You can have your opinions. I really don't mind. It's just, everybody's a, it's a free country. You can believe whatever you want to believe, okay? But here's the bottom line. They're a miracle. That's the only country in the world where their dead language was resurrected. That's a miracle. In 19, uh, sorry, in 130 AD, Titus came in and absolutely leveled Jerusalem. I mean, literally leveled Jerusalem and built upon it. If you go to Jerusalem today, there are three Jerusalems. There's the New Jerusalem, there's the Old Jerusalem, and there's the Ancient Jerusalem. If you want to walk where Jesus walked, there's only two places you can go. You walk up the steps towards the Temple Mount, that's where Jesus walked, or you have to go underground. I mean, you have to go underground to walk where Jesus walked. I walked that. It's amazing. But what happened? Titus leveled the place, 130 AD, and Titus renamed Israel. Have a guess. Does anybody know what, what Titus renamed Israel? Palestine. Right? That's why people call it Palestine. Titus named Palestine in 130 AD, and everybody said, Ah, oh, the Bible is not true. That could never happen. You know, all the prophecies in the Bible about Israel being regathered, not, that's never going to happen until 1948. It is, it is unprecedented. In 1948, is the, the white papers were published after the First World War because the Jewish man invented TNT and helped end World War I. And so the British promised, well, some of the British people promised to give Israel a free nation, make them a free nation again. Didn't happen until 1948 after World War II. But that's another story. We won't get into that this morning. But the miracle is that Israel was gathered together as a nation in 1948 against all odds. Miraculously. Why? To prove this book is true. And you know, this book promises that God would regather his people. People scoffed at it for 1900 years, but God, well, maybe 1850 years. But anyway, but God proved it true. And you know what? I want to tell you something else. Watch out, folks. Because this book says that the, the temple will be rebuilt. You say, but the dome will a rock. You know that? Anyway, they did, but, but they say that the dome of the rock is, is in the way. It may or may not be. The Bible says that Israel will, uh, will they will again start making sacrifices again. You, you say, how do you know? Because the Bible says so. It's going to happen. That temple will be rebuilt. But you, it hasn't been rebuilt in, since in nearly 2,000 years. It doesn't matter. The Bible says it's going to rebuild. It's going to, be, it's going to happen. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy proves that this Bible is true. This is not just man's religion. This is God's religion. Amen. Man's religion is made up. Man's religion causes wars and battles and fighting and scrapping. Because man has to carry their gods everywhere. But God's religion brings truth and it brings peace. Peace God's way. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I could start preaching this. Anyway, I'm just saying this is God's word, and I'm just saying that, that, that when there's a battle between Jehovah and the gods of this world, I know who's going to win every single time. I know the one who created all things. You see on the right hand of the Father, he's going to win every single time. Okay? Anyway.
So the Lord Jehovah won the second contest between him and Dagon. And the first defeat might have been an accident. Oops, Dagon fell over when I was looking. But anyway, the second defeat showed the hand of Almighty God. I praise God for that. Yet the Philistines continued to revere Dagon. And while they remained superstitious regarding Dagon, they would begin to fear the Lord. Look at verse 5 and First Samuel 5, verse 5. Therefore neither the priests of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold. Why? Because the head and the hand, or the hands and the feet were on the threshold. So they were very good. You know, it's interesting, they would fear a God that they have to carry around the place and they have to put together. Isn't that interesting? All right. Verse 6. Let's read to verse 6 to 8. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod, and he destroyed them and smote them with emerald, even Ashdod on the coast thereof. Verse 7. When the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, The ark of God is his, of Israel shall not abide with us, for his hand is sore upon us. Is that, oh, it's just a man made God like Dagon? No, 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 no. It's the Lord, okay? And his hand is upon us. And, 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 he, and the Bible says, The ark of God of Israel shall not abide with us, for his hand is sore upon us, and upon Dagon our God. <laughs> our gods are losing now. Hate doesn't make our gods look bad. Do you understand? Verse 8. They sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them, and said, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of God of Israel be carried about unto Gath. <laughs> Let's just move the problem, okay? Sounds like politics. Yeah. <laughs> what happens if the Minister for Health is not doing a good job? Make the Minister for Justice. Move them around. That will solve the problem. People can't complain about them if they're not there. You're a problem. And then Minister for Justice does a useless... I shouldn't say that. I don't know who, who the Minister... Well, I probably do, but I don't want to think about it right now. But anyway, they move the Minister ju for Justice around and make them the Minister for 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 uh, for, um, for um, Children or something. I don't know what they do these days. But the point is this. Just move people around. And that's what they did back then, brethren. They just moved the God of Israel to another place. Then we're going to be okay. And... Uh, <coughs> Where are we now? Verse 8. They sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them and said, What shall we do with the ark of Israel? And they answered, Let the God of, let the God of Israel be carried, the ark of the God of Israel be carried unto Gath, and they carried the ark of God of Israel about thither. Okay, let's talk about this. Why do you think that the Lord's hand was heavy upon the Philistines? Why was God's hand heavy against the Philistines? Yes. That his people were his people. Yeah, to prove his people were his people, absolutely. <coughs> what else? Yes. I think he wanted to signal and want for them to repent. He wanted to, absolutely, and both answers are true, right? He wanted to say, I am the Lord, there is none else. My glory will I not give to another man than my praise to graven images. But yet God is willing that none should perish, but all should come to repentance, right? He was doing what Israel should have been doing. You know, Israel may be God's chosen people, but they're also a godless people. 90% Zionists, 90% of, of them uh, have no religion. They don't care about the Lord. 10% religious people. But I thank God that every time there's a war, if you follow it through 1948, 1967, the Six-Day War, 1973, the Yom Kippur War, 50 years later, the Gaza War, I don't know what they're gonna call it now, but, but anyway, the point I'm trying to make is, every time there's a war in Israel, they many wake up and turn to Jehovah. And may God use this for the saving of precious souls. Amen. May God say, Phil, uh, I was going to say, Philistines. may God say, say, Palestinians through it. May God save Arabs through it. May God save Muslims through it. May God save Jews through it. 
May God say people who think they're Christians but they're not Christians at all through it. May God say atheists through it, agnostics through it. God is when the none should perish, but all should come to repentance, no matter who they are. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that we should be praying for the salvation of souls and uh, for peace in Jerusalem. We'll talk about that later. So the Lord began to chasten uh, the Philistines. And when he did, they knew it was from him. He was demonstrating his power to them the way he did to the Egyptians some 400 years previously. I need some to read First uh, Samuel chapter 4, verse 8. Raise your hand. First Samuel 4, verse 8. Thank you, Eileen. First Samuel 6, 6. First Samuel 6, 6. Jolomi, you can read that for me. And Hosea 5, verse 15. Hosea 5, 15. And I don't have a ton of scriptures to read this time. We're just going to go through this. Okay. All right. So, First Samuel 4, verse 8, please. Woe unto us. Who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Isn't it interesting that this is the Philistines calling Jehovah gods? I mean, they're, they're polytheistic. They worship different gods. So that's the way they think. That's why they think that way. But isn't it interesting that they remember what God did to the Egyptians? They remember Moses crossing the Red Sea. They weren't there, but they, they, they remember the history. And the fear of God is, is, is rising up in their hearts. Isn't that a wonderful thing? The fear of God should be rising up in the hearts of them because Israel was doing what's right. And like to the Israel is not doing what's right today, the Israel wasn't doing right, what's right back then. So God would say, okay, well, I'll work another way. I'll work another way. Praise God, he's willing to work another way. First Samuel chapter 6, verse 6. Wherefore, when then do ye harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts when ye had wrought wonderfully among them. Did they not let the people go and they departed? Isn't that interesting? Now we're looking ahead. This hasn't happened yet because we're in chapter 5 and this is chapter 6. But they're, but they're making the point, look, they're making a comparison. This is the God who destroyed Egypt. He decimated the Egyptian army. The Egyptian army was the world power. The, the world power today is the American army. They they put like five. They they have more. They invest more money in their military than the the other nine countries behind them put together. They have more infantry. They have more. Uh, they may not have more infantry, but they have more. Uh, 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 what's what's with technology? They have they have so much. But but the point is, um, so it would be like, you know. A, 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 like the American army today being absolutely decimated. That's what it would be like. That's how powerful it is. This is how the Egyptian army were absolutely powerful. And the Philistines were looking at that and saying, look, if he could do that to that world power, we need to stand back. The fear of God was raising in our hearts. That was powerful. So, if Israel would not be a light and testimony to the idolatrous Gentiles, God would do it himself. Now, the, question, the fact that the Lord himself revealed his people to the, his power, should I say, to the Philistines, does that excuse the lack of light coming from Israel? So let me ask that question again. God stepped in and, and uh, showed himself strong to the Philistines. Does that excuse Israel from doing their responsibility? No. So if, if we're not willing to open up our mouths and tell people about Jesus Christ, and God does it for us, is that okay for us? Brethren, we need to be salt. You need a salt of the earth. We need to be light. Let your light shout, so shine before men. We can make excuses and we can come up with reasons why we don't witness the way we should, but there's no excuse, brethren. It is our job 
to proclaim Jesus Christ. I honestly believe, brethren, I honestly believe that when we stand before Jesus, we're going to be in tears for two reasons. Number one, we're going to see what Jesus did for us. We're going to see his hands, we're going to see his feet, and we're going to weep because of what he did for us. And the second reason we're going to say, I wish I'd done more. Think about it. All eight billion people on earth right now and previous generations are going to see his hands and are going to see his feet and everyone is going to be culpable. Everyone is going to be accountable. But you say, I wasn't born that way. It doesn't matter. Everyone is going to be culpable and accountable for the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for our sins. And you know what? People say, well, I never knew. Romans chapter 1 says, Thou art inexcusable, O man. God has put in our conscience that there is a God in heaven. And in our conscience that he is a trinity. And in our conscience that we need his forgiveness. And if we neglect that, reject that, we're going against our very conscience that God has placed in us. You say, I don't think about it. But there was a time when you used to and you choose not to now. That's your choice. But God wants to stir your conscience to make you think about it again. You with me here? Because everyone is going to be accountable for the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. And the best way to make yourself accountable to him is repent and put your faith in him and have your sins washed away. Can I hear an amen for that? Amen. That's a good thing. I like amens. Amen. Okay, Gospel Baptist Church, it's good to amen. amen. I'm going to preach a sermon because I heard, because there was a preacher called Jack Hiles. He preached a message. I, I never I didn't hear him preach it, but I, I read it. It was a brilliant sermon. Will someone please say amen? And I'm going to, I'm going to dig up that sermon. If I, I'll either preach it. I very, very rarely preach somebody else's sermons. But uh, I let a preacher just come up with my own version of it. But he, he's with the Lord now. I don't think he's going to complain if I use the sermon. Anyway, let's move on. So, let's move on. Uh, so, we're in chapter verse 6. As the Lord started dealing with the pagans, perhaps they didn't rec recognize it. After the first dozen or the first hundred of people were smitten. But when thousands were affected, it was regional. And they were able to put two and two together. They, they were saying, this is the hand of God upon us. They realized that Jehovah was much greater than their gods. And brethren, people need to understand that Jehovah, who is Jesus, is greater than all the gods of this world. Now tell me, what's the, what are the gods of this world? Help me here, brethren. What are the gods of this world? Money. Money. Materials. Materials. Music. Some people live for music, honestly. What else? Sports. I read... 30 years, 20 something years ago, 8 million, a British felt like this, 8 million British people worship football. 8 million. It's God to them. And you see that when they score, they're like this bow down and worship me. Give me a break. You break your ankle, you'll be out for, out for the season. <laughs> Somebody else. So, what else do people worship? Fame. Education. Education. Fame. Fame. They worship all those things. But that all the world may know that there's a God in Israel, that he is the one, he's the king of kings and lord of lords. Brethren, you know, sometimes we're afraid to, to witness, aren't we? Mm -hmm. I think fear is Satan's tool yes. to disempower us. Mm -hmm. And you know what? While all the Israelites were shaking in their boots, David stood up and said, is there not a cause? Yeah. And I'll tell you what the cause is. The cause is that the people out there know, need to know that there's a God in heaven. Who loves them. Who died for them. And he's more powerful than anything else. And they are accountable to him. I had a wonderful conversation. Went to get a coffee for, um, for Lindsay and Jenny and myself. And, and uh, the coffee went cold by the time we went back. Because we had an opportunity to share the gospel with a couple of people there. 
And one of the girls, she was just complete, I don't believe in anything. And it was really, I love talking to people. I love talking to young people. And uh, we're talking, and her reasoning just didn't work at all, you know. But there was another fella there, and uh, he, he said, uh, I, I said, she hate, hate the word sin. I don't like the word sin. It, it, it's horrible to call someone a sinner. It's, it, 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 it's attacking people. It's hateful. I said, my daughter, my daughter's right there. I said, Hannah, Hannah's a sinner. I love her. I love her, but she's a sinner, right? And uh, they, she didn't like that. But, I said, <laughs> but, she, but she said, uh, Hannah was fine. And I said, her dad's a sinner too. Hannah loves me. I'm a sinner. I said, it's not hateful. I said, but, and, and, and here's the thing, um, so what, when you, when, and I said, what about Hitler? Oh, people always use Hitler, you have to use extremes. Oh, I said, okay, okay, okay. What do you call it when somebody feels wrong? Well, it's just wrong things, okay. So you call it wrong, and I talked to the fellow over here, and he said they're bad moral choices, and then I started calling it sin. We're all calling it the same, we just have different names, but it's the same thing, it's sin, right? She wasn't tremendously happy with that, but I said, do you know what? The thing is, sin, when we call it sin, it makes us accountable. And he was looking at her, you know, because he knew she was right. You know, it's true. People don't want to be accountable. They want to just do whatever they want to do. But you know what? God wants to hold us accountable for our, for our actions because it's the only way we'll ever be saved. If we try and, and uh, get away from that accountability, we can't be saved. We've got to look life straight in the eyes and say, you know, I've sinned. I, 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 I've, I've sinned against God. I want to be in a right relationship with God. And brethren, every person in this country has a right to know that. And everybody in Romania has a right to know that they're sinners. They have a right to know. Everybody in the Western world has a right to know. Everybody in the whole world has a right to know that they are going to stand before God someday. And there's a God in heaven who's greater than all gods. And all their gods are useless. And all their gods are going to let them down someday. And I, and I asked the girl because she was you know, a little bit stubborn. A little bit stubborn. But I still enjoy talking with her. And uh, I said, what if you're wrong? Well, I have to cross that bridge when you come to it. I said, it'll be too late. It'll be too late then. What if you're wrong? Well, if you're wrong, what if you stand before God and you realize you were wrong? Then what are you going to do? She had to really think about that. I pray she does. Anyway, look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. So, it says here, They sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them and said, What shall we do with the ark? And let's bring it to Gath. Now, so they sent the ark to, to Gath, meaning wine press treaders. And that's what they were like. They would, they would treat people like wine press. They would tread all over them, okay? But they did not yet fear the Lord. And the, the way those of Ashdod did, okay? They weren't there yet, okay? So they still saw the ark as good luck rather than representing true religion and the living God who is holy. Now, why do you think the Philistines failed to believe that God was holy? Why do you think the Philistines failed to realize that God is holy and to be worshipped? And adored in his holiness. Why do you think it's because the answer is the same to, to, to the same question? Why do you think the people in Ireland fail to realize God is holy? Why do you think people in Romania fail to realize God is holy? Why do you think the people around the world, in the Western world and around the world, fail to realize our God is holy? Why? Because we're left. Three fingers, I'll put it back this way, right? We're letting You know what? We can't do anything about that girl's perspective of God. But the fella asked, 
So why, what does God do for you? Thanks for asking. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you what the Lord did to me. And I told him about my relationship with the Lord. I, I told him I love my daughter. I love my wife. And I didn't say, I, I, I didn't want to upset him too much. I, just, I was going to say I love my wife even more because she'll leave home. My, my wife stays with me, you know. But the point is that uh, I didn't go down that road. But I told him I love the Lord even more. And the Lord, and, and, and my wife loves the Lord more than, she loves, more than she loves me. And that's a wonderful thing. And by the way, when we talked about sin, you know, they didn't like that necessarily. He was okay with it. She was really struggling. But I said, you know what? The thing is, she said, that's a very negative way of looking at someone who's a sinner. I said, Baha, but you've you, you got to hear this one. Because the Lord my God has taken his blood, he's shed it on the cross, and he's declared me legally righteous. Amen. Amen. And so God doesn't look at me as a sinner, even though I am. He looks at his precious blood. He looks at the work of his work on the cross. I have been declared righteous by Jesus Christ. So I may not, I may be in practice a sinner, but legally before God, I'm righteous. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Best message in the world. Can't beat Christianity. Anyway, so verse 8, they didn't have this fear of God yet, these Philistines in, in Ashdod or in Gath. Ashdod was getting there, but Gath wasn't there yet. Now, but they had to figure this out because the, because the believers in Jehovah weren't doing a very good job. We need to step up our game here, brethren. We need to step up our game. Verse 9. Look at verse 9. And it was so that after they carried it about, the hand of the Lord was against the city with a great destruction. And he smote the men of the city, both small and great, and they had emeralds in their secret parts. Ouch. To help them along, the Lord turned up the heat. He multiplied the chastening. Both Webster and Smith say the emeralds were hemorrhoids. The men were bleeding from the very, unco very uncomfortable places, demonstrating that they were completely unclean before the Lord. Look at verse 10. Therefore they sent the Ark of God to Ekron. <laughs> Good idea, just move the problem. We all get this in politics, just move the problem. Blame somebody else. Oh, why are the riots in Dublin? Oh, it's his fault. Oh, no, it's their fault. Oh, no, it's the, the right wing. <sighs> Give me a break. I'll tell you why there are riots in Dublin. Because we're sinners. And because we're godless. Because we've lost the fear of God. Because we have the fear of God in this country, we wouldn't riot and smash up people's shops and put people in fear. And we wouldn't go after the guardie like thugs. I, I mean, I, I don't want to say what I want to say. I'm just going to hold my tongue. What was done was wicked by evil people, sinners who've lost the fear of God. You bring the fear of God back to a country, that stuff doesn't happen. And we've known to blame as a society but ourselves. We've got angry at Catholicism, we've cast off Catholicism, and what we've looked, look at what we've got well done, Ireland. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need to bring back the fear of God. Brethren, it's our job to teach people we can't give them a fear of God but we can have a fear of God ourselves and they may say well I may not necessarily believe what you believe but I know you do can I hear an amen for that amen. that wasn't very convincing amen. because we can have a fear of God and we can show them what a fear of God looks like and Lord willing we'll have an impact on their lives does that sound good it takes time people are I think we're all a bit stubborn but let's just be patient and work with people and be gracious because we know how stubborn we've been, right? We, we get it, okay? So, so they moved on the problem. They wanted, to be, they wanted to be blessed by having the ark in their possession, but Jehovah said, absolutely no. 
So after two cities' rejections, then the ark arrived in Ekron. Ekron means eradication, okay? So therefore they sent the ark of God to eradication, and it came to pass as the ark of God came to Ekron, verse 10, that the Ekronites cried out and said, Whoa, hold on! And they brought about the ark of the God of Israel to us to slay us and our people. Praise God, they finally got a fear of God. If Israel had that type of fear, they wouldn't have lost the battle against the Philistines. If Israel had had that type of fear, they wouldn't have brought the ark like a lucky rabbit's paw. It didn't bring the rabbit much luck, right? But they wouldn't have brought the, the lucky rabbit's foot into the battle. They would have left the ark where it belonged in the temple and they would have had, they would have had respect unto the Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? So after two cities' rejections, see, the city called Eradication cried out. Those of Ekron had observed what happened to the other cities of Gath and Ashdod, and they certainly didn't want to learn the hard way. The eradicators did not want to be eradicated. At this stage, the heathen had a greater fear of God than his own chosen people. Isn't that scary? That's wrong, isn't it? Shouldn't God's people have a greater fear of God than the heathen? Would you agree with that? That was what was going on. That's where they were at, brethren. This was a tragic spiritual stage. Israel had a tragic spiritual condition. And to this day, Israel has. Why do you think Israel is, is so spiritually blinded? Does anybody know? Why are they tragically at a very bad position spiritually? Even though God is with them and, and, and gracious to them and, give, and there are stages of miracle. Why do you think spiritually they are just an absolute mess? Why? Anybody know? That is the answer. Do you remember that we read in the scriptures how did they reject the Messiah? And, and, and Pilate, the pagan, the Roman uh, uh, procurator, said, you know, he said, what has he done? This man is innocent. And they answered back, upon us and our children be his blood. They cursed themselves. But praise God, that curse is going to be lifted someday. Because the Bible says they will pay double for their sins. And you know, they, 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 Hitler tried to wipe them out. Stalin tried to wipe them out. Uh, country after country tried to wipe them out. But God stood with them graciously. Even though they are still in pagan unbelief. I'm not calling them pagans because they are still God's chosen people. But they're in unbelief. Like, they're like pagans. They're in unbelief. But God in his mercy is going to appear to them someday. And he's going to rescue them. And at the battle of Armageddon, you say, what's this all about? Read Revelation. <laughs> Scary book, but it'll awaken you up spiritually. It'll be really good. Do you understand? It's really good stuff. Okay, so look at verse 11. So they, so those Gath, Ashdod, uh, Ekron, so they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of God of Israel and let it go again to his own place uh, that it slay us not and our people for there is deadly destruction toward all the city. The hand of God was very sore there and the men that died not were smitten with the emeralds and the cry of the city went up to heaven. You know, even people who are wicked like the Philistines here in this text, God is gracious to them. God does not punish people because he hates them. God punishes people because he's trying to bring them to repentance. Are you with me here? God is gracious. We should always remember, man may hate man, but God doesn't hate people. God is willing that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. And
that's why he works through a group of people. If there was a day where he worked through Israel, he can't work with them anymore. He now works through churches. Born again Christians and churches. Brethren, we need to let people know. So the five lords of the Philistines gathered together as a council. Each of the five major Philistine cities, there were five major cities, Gath, Ekron, Ashdod, they were mentioned already, um, and then um, Ashkelon and Gaza. Ever heard of Gaza? Mm -hmm. Philistine city, okay? Had their own lord. But the chastening of the Lord God Almighty has, was getting worse and worse. The ark of God of, of Israelites be, belonged back with his people. It was not a lucky charm. It was a symbol of his presence. It would not dwell in unholiness. It wouldn't dwell among pagans. Israel needed to prepare herself to receive the ark back in holiness. Now brethren, it would take another generation for them to prepare themselves. Because God's people were unholy. The pagans cried out because of their suffering. We read that in verse 12. Jehovah was put to battle with their idols. Though his people had lost their battle, the Almighty would not lose his. Okay? Israel may have lost the battle, but Jehovah would not. No matter how much God's people fail, the Lord will always promise. Sorry, will always triumph. And brethren, I want to ask the question as we close. I think we're done here, aren't we? Yes. Why should we accept defeat when we can walk in victory? God always triumphs. And why should we walk? Like, we, we read the end of the Bible. We said, hey, we're on the winning side. Amen. We know what happens. But sometimes we walk in defeat. That's tragic. Do you know why? Because we don't have to. We can live in victory. Because of the blood of Jesus that was spilt on the cross for our sins. We can live in victory because of death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And his power was unleashed. The power of hell was destroyed when Jesus rose again from the dead. And we can live in victory because he's given us his spirit. The spirit of holiness. His Holy Spirit empowers us to live the Christian life. If you're trying to live the Christian life without his spirit, you're going to fail. It's not going to work. It's like trying to drive a car without fuel. But when you depend on the Holy Spirit, Christianity starts to make sense. Amen. So, brother, my encouragement is walk in victory because the vic Jehovah cannot lose. That's why God cannot lose. Let's walk in victory. Father, thank you so much for your people.